Peter Thomas Innes, born 1947. I was born at Tharcotton, Northampton, to parents Alfred William, born 1921, and Eva Margaret, born at Lou, Lou Sussex in 1926. Grandfather William George was born at Stoke Brewer in 1895, but moved to Tharcotton. Grandmother Jenny Wormsley was born at Silverstone in 1901. My granddad worked at Phipps Brewery. He was awarded for 50 years of continuous service with an interruption when he enlisted in November 1914. He was in the Northamptonshire Yeomanry then, transferred to the Cheshire Regiment, then transferred back to the Yeomanry. He was at the first Battle of the Somme. Grandad was about six feet tall, a very placid man. I remember how I would go to his allotment at Ravensfort Road, Far Cotton, and pinch his strawberries. I never heard him raise his voice. My dad worked at, at Woodyard, which was over the river bridge. The Woodyard was situated next to the river at Far Cotton. Dad enlisted in the Royal Navy on the 31st of August 1942 and was land-based until he joined the submarines. Sometimes he was a helmsman, but other times in the torpedo room. He was in the Mediterranean, mostly Algeria, North Africa. Dad was lucky in that he was able to come home on leave. I believe he met the girl he was to marry, my mum of course, when he was in Northampton. As it was seen as good luck to touch a sailor's college, he did just that. They married in 1942 at St Mary's Church, Far Cotton, they lived with paternal grandparents for three or four years before living with maternal grandparents. I attended Cedar Road Infant School, Abington, Northampton. I was a reluctant pupil, so my mum had to practically haul me to school. Mum worked in the worked for the shoe firm Crockett and Jones when she met my dad. She later worked for the Barkers of Earl Spartan. Dad worked for British for British Timkin. At North Dustin Northampton, the firm were bearing bearing manufacturers. We moved with all our furniture in a lorry to Old Barton. My brother was born in 1952. I attended Old Barton Junior School. I loved playing football and was goalie for the school team. We used to use a full-sized pitch nearby. I was the church in the church lads brigade in Old Barton. The person in charge was Mr Mills. The activities were held in the school hall. I went to John Lee School in 1958. I still knocked about with friends who lived in Ellsbarton. I was a rugby player for the school for about five games but stopped playing for them as I wouldn't wear the school uniform. I enjoyed metal work when I was at school. Mr Crampton was our t teacher, nicknamed Billy Bean. I thought he was a kind man. I left school at the age of 14. My first job was with EB Engineering of Earls Barton. I was with the firm for a few months. I later worked for British Timkin at Justin for about three years. I started at British Timkin a little while before I got married. I also worked at British Leyland from 16th of October 1972 until the firm shut in 1982. I was a maintenance night shift worker. I then worked for Long and Hamley at Billing and was there for three years. I began banger racing in 1972. I became interested in this hobby initially as my brother was also racing. I also raced at the dog track in Earls Barton. I won the tankard for the death on destruction race. 
I raced for about 20 years. My other interest was motorbikes. I bought my bungalow for all of my bank for all my bang, bangers. However, I had a back injury and this accident affected the rest of my life. I was forced to retire when I was aged 55. I used to play skittles for the three compasses at Upper Dean for about 10 years. My wife Wendy also played skittles. I've met her through a blind date. My mate set us up. We met outside Woolworths in Rushton. I married Wendy in 1970 at Wellingborough Register Office. We had the reception at the Hind Hotel, which her dad had kindly paid for. Our daughter Karen was born in 1970 and son born, Mark, born in 1975. We lived in Findham for some years but now live in Rushton. I needed to find something to keep me busy after having to take early retirement. I decided to trace my family history and managed to go back to 1620. Then, in 1998, I noticed an article in the Evening Telegraph which was about a bloke who was carrying out research relating to the Stanit War Memorial. I offered to help. He was a retired school teacher. I went onto the internet to help him with his wider research. We became friends. When his work was eventually completed, he gave a copy of his book to the community. I know Audrey Ellis through her husband Paul, who had chaired my interest in motorbikes since we were both teenagers. We also used to go to the exchange pub, which was in Market Square. I was later become totally involved in the book Those That Didn't, published in 2011. A small committee had been formed. Uh, Northamptonshire Com Community Foundation gave a grant of 4,800, which allowed for 236 books to be printed. I don't think that I expected my work would become a book. Sometimes it was brothers or sisters I spoke to. I talked to Audrey Desper. She had kept her dad's war diary. Audrey sent me a Christmas card. She told me how she'd gained a better understanding of some of the fine and casualties her father had often spoken about having read my book. I'd been interviewed by Radio Northampton twice. I think it must have taken me over six years to carry out my research. It was time-consuming, but I enjoyed doing something that I saw as being very important for the community of finders. So, sorry about the telephone ringing. Father's family were all musical. My grandmother was also a beautiful singer. Grandad had a bass voice. He would sing Old Man River. Dad also played the piano a couple of times a week in a dance band with four or five other people. Mum was keen for me to have lessons. She was the one who encouraged me to practice on the piano in the front room every day after school. I had already been given formal piano lessons from Miss Billington. She would hit me across the knuckles with a cane if I didn't concentrate on what I was what I was doing. I was eight or nine when I began to play the piano at school. All the children marched into school as I played the toy soldiers on the piano and then marched out again to the same tune at the end. My musical le leaning was something that I inherited from my father. It was a lovely experience at this school. I still love maths in the junior school. There was a very red-faced teacher called Miss Gates. She was short and stout. I was a real giggler when I was at school and one day I paid the cost for my giggling. I was in a geography class when I came across a picture of a black man. He was wearing a great big disc across his lower back. 
Body, when I refused to tell my teacher just why I was laughing, she told me to stand on a desk. She then slapped my legs. One day, I was singing in the class. There were 52 children when Miss Smith, a tall, bony lady with glasses, told me to stand up in, in front of the class. She told me that I had the voice of a nightingale. Those words were stuck with me all of my life. I think I was very lucky to have such a lovely childhood up to the age of 11. It seemed that all our summer holidays were lovely. My dad bought 11 plus books to help me pass my 11 plus. My parents were delighted when I passed the 11 plus. I was rewarded with a brand new bike. It was when I was out, it was when I went out into the yard that I discovered the lovely reward. Most ground, most weekends I would walk up to the hill with my little bag to stay at my grandparents' house. My auntie still had her war coupons. She would buy me my sweets from the market. We would play ball games in the street. There were very few cars then. My sister and I went to Mill Road Baptist Church. We always wore our Sunday best clothes. I disliked being dressed just the same as my sister. Mum made all our clothes, coats and dresses. I would rebel later. We would be met part way to Sunday school by Miss Jateman, who helped at Sunday school. After Sunday school, she would take us back to her, her, her mum and dad. I remember that they were really stern Victorian couple. I really believed in Jesus. I prayed out earnestly every night. I remember kneeling on the cold liner, no heat in them. We had ice on the indoors of our windows. I always went home for dinner, but there was no time for lingering. I remember how one cold and frosty day, when I was walking with my friend Margaret Lomas, I said, Look at that spider's web. I was so fascinated with the beauty of what I saw with the web that I was late for my dinner. I got a slap on the leg. We moved to Western when, when I was 11 years old. The television was in the front room, as was my piano. I was too scared to play when Dad was home. I tended to play either when Dad wasn't at home or alternatively at school. I would cycle to high school with my friend Leslie Simmons. I think that all the teachers were very strict. We were disliked by other girls who went to different schools and called us snobs. I hated PE, I hated PE so I would direct anything to avoid it. I would say that I was going to piano lessons. I would go to the room and hide there, but sometimes I would play the piano. Music would get me out of a lot of things that I hated, including mathematics. I somehow went from being a good math student in junior school to being pathetic. I also disliked subjects like history and geography. In the fifth year, we were allowed to study at home. I'm afraid we would go to Gino's coffee shop. I didn't think we were bad pupils. I remember how I once got into trouble for not wearing my hat. Every Saturday, I would have to go and play hockey. I was always in goal. I hated every second of this. I also played tennis. We would go to the Plum School, Wellingborough School, for swimming lessons. The boys used to peep. I did, I did gain some life-saving life certificates. The three subjects that I took at A-level standard were English, art and music. I was now taking singing lessons. I gained grade 7 piano and 8 for singing. These standards would have got me into somewhere like the Royal Academy. However, circumstances were forced on me which sadly prevented me from taking up the opportunity to go to the Royal Academy. I had to make another choice, so I decided to train as a teacher. Dad was now a director of Wellingborough Boot and Shoe Company. 
When he was playing to an audience, he was still the happy-go-lucky kind of man. They would line up pints upon his piano. After leaving high school, I went to the West Midlands Training College. It was my mum who took on all sorts of jobs to help me to pay for my books. Nanny Bertha sent me, my, me, me money, as did Aunt, Aunt Greta, Greta, in the summer I worked at a local laundry, as well as various cooperative grocery shops. It was a really hard time, as my dad refused to bring my mum for open days at college. I always felt upset, but I met one girl a year younger than me. We befriended each other, as we were both in similar positions. I was now in a group called Jenny Sound. I also played for a girl who was training to become a professional singer. I am still in touch with her. I was a soloist at the Congregational Church for four successive years. I wasn't speaking to my dad at that time. It was stubbornness on both our parts. For this reason, I dreaded being at home during the weekends, so I would choose to stay with friends. I then became an anorexic for about a year. I was living on apple and cheese. I fortunately saw sense and began to... began to eat properly. Again I sang in a dance band where I wore a wig and a glittering dress. I wasn't getting home until the early hours, then up a few hours later to teach. I suppose I was a bit of a rebel. I was friendly with this long-haired and talented guitar player. He would come into college sometimes. My tutor told me not to take such unsavoury people into college. I spent all my time in the college bar, another way of escaping. My last year of teacher training practice took place at a school in the black country. It was a deprived area, but my work was very rewarding. There were 40 children in the class. I recall one particular child in the class. He was very large for his age. He took a shine to me. He started to steal things from his mum's house, including her wellingtons and a bottle of scent. He bought these wellingtons, which he had carefully wrapped to my classroom. He had overheard me saying to someone else that I needed to buy myself Wellingtons. I had to sit down and write a letter to his mum, explaining what had happened to her Wellingtons, and then give the letter to someone else to deliver it. I worked at Wellingborough Post Office most Christmases, and another child sent me Christmas cards every day over a three-week period. My first teaching job was at Streetley, Sutton Coalfield. I shared a house with four other teachers, I instantly loved teaching. It was whilst I was in the second year at Streetley that I was offered a job at Streetley Middle School. I was teaching children up to the age of 14. I didn't enjoy my work quite so much as I was now having to work in an open plan classroom setting. This meant that I was sharing with other classes. It was a really progressive school. It was whilst I was teaching at this school that I got an urgent phone call. I was told that my mum was very ill. I moved back to Wellingborough and moved in with Mum. Miraculously, she recovered from this serious illness. It was whilst I was back at college that I received a phone call from Mum that was to change my life. Dad was very ill. Would I go home? Dad was dying from lung cancer. He was 51. All the family were with him when he died. I managed to speak to him and to say I was sorry before he died. Wasn't able to cry at his passing though. I married and I had a precious daughter who was born at Kettering Hospital in 1979. My daughter loved her granny. Mum would ask her to play simple tunes on her piano and listen while she laid upstairs in her bed.
Mum recovered from her illness and lived another seven years. She developed secondary cancer and died in 1985. Her death hit me very hard. I was near to despair as I had always been very close to my mum. The strength I gained from prayer gave me the courage to carry on. I often wondered whether praying to God just when I needed him was somehow wrong. I have since learned that this is not the case. You pray not for a selfish reason, but because you need help at that time. We sold Mum's house in Western Way for a really cheap price because we just wanted it all finished. This was another end of, of a chapter in my life. It was about this time that the headmaster at a local junior school came knocking on my door. He told me that he needed a pianist for their morning assemblies. I was to teach special needs children two days a week. This soon increased to three days. My daughter was at infant school by now. This would be about 1986. Prior to this, I had been working at a nearby hotel, which is now closed. I was also doing machine work at home. It was lovely as I went from earning very little money to having a decent wage. I was also playing the piano at a local chapel. Memories of Sunday school outings are still with me. They were very happy times. We went to Hunstanton and Skegness. This led to excursions with my friend and her family to London. I had applied and got a grant to run the summer activities at a chapel which was very popular. There are three or four memories that stand out in my mind whilst working at a junior school. There was a pupil with dyspraxia. The pupil had learning difficulties which included a very short memory span. We had many amusing times with this student. In order to try and help and improve memory, I would send the pupil to our office secretary and ask for a few pens of different colours. However, the bemused secretary would later come knocking on my door, asking why I wanted boxes full of pens. I was fortunate to have a one-to-one experience with this lovely student. I was able to offer all my attention. This resulted their reading and writing skills improving dramatically during the four years that I taught this student with their reading, eventually reaching the same standard as other children in the class. Also, also memory and writing skills improved. This person is now an adult working at a support group and is driving a car. This shows how a child can thrive with the right level of support. At the other end of the scale, I taught one particularly difficult student who would take to running around the school or standing on a desk standing on a desk and then dance. Sometimes the same student would dash out into the playground and even into the road. It took a lot of energy to support this person through all of their anger. This student responded to a kinder and softer approach rather than someone shouting at them. On several occasions, this student would run away from their home and come to my house and then ask to stay with me. Of course, I had to ring the police for them to come to take this child home. On one occasion, I took this same student with a friend and her children. We went to South End for the day. Everyone thought that I was mad, especially as this person had never been to the seaside before. I was on ten talks throughout that day, but this scholar behaved very well. However, the train journey was the highlight of their day, particularly as they had never been on a train before. Another child I taught had little awareness of people around, but although not autistic, was on the Asperger's syndrome scale. There are several forms of Asperger's from mild to complex. This pupil was unable to retain facts. Indeed, on one occasion, whilst doing a science experiment with another child, 
trying to find a pulse in order to measure their heart rate. After exercise, my charge judge yelled out to me that they didn't have a heart like everyone else. It took a while for this particular child to understand that yes, they did have a heart and they were breathing. This student went on to become a talented artist. In 2002, the head teacher left. Through special circumstances, I was unable to teach special needs children. I was back in the classroom full time. The only good thing about it that I was given five of my six special needs children to make up my class. My career came to an abrupt end when a new head teacher was appointed. This changed things radically. I developed a chest infection. As it was so close to half time, it was difficult for me to take time off. I was taken ill at school. I was driven home by a member of staff. Within 24 hours, I was in the intensive care unit at a nearby general hospital. I was in there for three months. I'd been put into an induced coma. I had had empyrea. I also had ulcers on my legs. It turned to be to septicemia. At one point, I was critically ill. I was gradually taken out of the coma. I was hallucinating with all the drugs I had been given. Because of the tracheotomy, the pipe stopped. The pipe stopped me from taking it, me from talking. This was very frustrating for me. When I was, when I was well enough, I was moved to a normal ward. They didn't want to accept me because I could neither walk nor feed myself. I was becoming hospitalised. I wept as they wheeled me to the ward. I had the most awful time there. I received the great, great news that I was going to Beechwood Rehabilitation Centre in Wellingborough. I was cared for and looked after by some lovely people. I learned to walk again. I still needed a wheelchair for a few months. I retired early. My daughter is now married and has two beautiful children. I've had two bouts of cancer but have recovered. I have been on my own since two, 2000. I am now... At a happy point in my life, having discovered a new church, I thoroughly enjoy my grandchildren, and I am thankful for my life and for being given a second chance. Jenny, nineteen forty-eight. My parents, my parents actually met each other when they were based in the RAF at Catterick. Mum was helping with barrage balloons, whilst Dad was a navigator. He was a bright man. Nan Belbin did everything to stop Mum marrying Dad. She sent Mum's trunk back to Scotland. Mum must have felt a very frightened lady. However, they married at the Congregational Church Wellingborough after the war, both marrying in RAF uniforms. They didn't have a honeymoon. My mother, Grace Ebright, maiden name Miller, was born at Norrinside, Scotland. She was one of eight children. My father, Jack Ronald Belbin was born at 69 Hill Street, Wellingborough. I was born at my grandparents' house, 69 Hill Street, Wellingborough. Grandmother's name was... Grand <coughs> grandfather's name was Thomas Belbin. And grandmother's name was Bertha Ellen. Maiden name, Miles. We moved to 155 Mill Road when I was one year old. My sisters were born at Mill Road. I can remember them both being born. I was sitting on the doorstep of my nan's 
when I was told that I had a sister, I screamed out loud, Take her back! I don't want a sister! We had a we had a lovely kind mum who used to take take Christmas dinners to an elderly neighbour who lived alone. I know that she had a special interest in helping the deaf and dumb. Mum loved to make jams and pickles. She was always entering local competitions with her victorious bunges. My grandfather had a barn at the bottom of his garden. He could make shoes from start to finish. I was often asked by my mum to take shoes to be repaired. Also, for a small price, he would, he would mend neighbours' shoes. Both my grandparents worked in local shoe factories. My nan worked in a corset factory. Bump Belpin, as I called him, had a little allotment which was down the bottom of Hill Street, near a row of cottages. Dad also had an allotment in Eastfield Road. All our vegetables were homegrown. We were so happy then. We would go down with our fishing nets to Big Hill where we caught sticklebacks. Mum would take us to see her family at our brove where my granny and granddad Miller lived. We catch the train from Peterborough. It was lovely as mum's brothers and sisters would congregate. Those long summer holidays were really special. My granny was a wonderful cook. Dad would join us for the factory fortnight. My last trip was when I was 18, when I received my A-level results. I have visited a broth a few times since then and would love to go again. I went to Victoria Infant School. I loved writing and sums. I remember how we had little beds in the classroom and that we slept in the afternoons. I remember learning the alphabet, another nice memory. However, what wasn't such a good memory was the milk. Horrible, especially when it curdled in the summer. And so I continue with the stories from Life's Left Ordinary. The story, this um, recollection comes from Diane, 1946. My mother was Joan Bryant and father Thomas Radmore, who was born in Plymouth, 1917. My father was in the Royal Marines, so travelled around a lot. Whilst mum only had one brother, father was the eldest of eight. Mum was a teacher at a small private school in Portsmouth, having qualified at the end of the war. I married my first husband at Barham. In 1965, he worked as an electrical engineer on helicopters at Gosport, but he later became a youth leader and trained at Leicester. He was involved with youth leadership for the rest of his working life. We have two children born in 1965 and 1968, a boy and a girl. I have been a member of St Mary's Parish Church and trained as a pastoral minister. I love this work as it brought me into touch with meeting all sorts of people. However, I am now a member of the parochial church council, helping the priests to run the church. I also run the women's fellowships. We meet on the last Tuesday of the month, time variable depending on the season. We help a local charity every year. We are currently helping Limpus, which works alongside adults with learning difficulties. Last year we helped Green Patch in Kettering. A major love of mine is being a member of Seagrave Singers, where Sue Reed leads us. We meet at Park Road Junior School Monday evenings from 6.45 until 9pm. 
In order to help to run this fabulous group, we pay a subscription of £10 a month. We will soon be singing at the Leicester Festival concert. We have about 45 members in our choir, with the oldest member being in her 80s. You don't have to be able to read music. Anyone can come along and give it a whirl. Every so often we open the group so people can come along and listen to us. It is hard work, but the standard is good. It will be interesting to hear the CD that has recently been made of us all singing. My grandfather sang and my sister and mother sang. We would gather around the piano and just sing. I always loved football. I used to go to Fratton Park, Portsmouth, with my dad, but I disliked having to go through the boys' entrance. Football was so exciting. I recall how my mum knitted me a blue and white scarf and hat and how I would wave this huge rattle. I still follow football on the television. Another of my hobbies is collecting pencils. This interest began when I was visiting somewhere. I love word search but didn't have a pencil with me so I bought a pencil as a souvenir. I see them as cheap to buy, easy to store and useful. I have collected pencils from North Yorkshire Railway, Lincoln Cathedral, Mallorca, Prague and London Eye to name but a few. I contacted Radio Northampton about my collection. Helen Blaby, the lunchtime show, subsequently interviewed me. I would say that life is as it is, but not as it I would have liked it have, to have been. I had 14 wonderful years with my second husband. When we met, we just clicked. I have always loved this sea, but came back to Burton as I wanted to be to, near to my children. Maureen Ricker 1946. My parents married at St Peter's Church, Earthingborough in 1944. Mum was 17 whilst Dad was 23. Mum had cycled with a friend to the corn exchange in Bedford. Mum lent Dad her bike, which allowed him to return to his base. A few days later, he returned to Mum's village, intending to return her bike. My Mum sailed on the Queen Elizabeth I in January 1946, and I was born in December in Connecticut. We went to Route 9, Greenville, Tennessee, and lived with my paternal grandfather at his t tobacco farm. Dad had been stationed at Thurley, Bedfordshire, where one of his jobs was to load the bombs and the planes, then unload ca casualties upon the planes to return. After my father left the army, he had a bungalow built. Dad was a male nurse in a hospital. I was four when my dad died of cancer of the stomach. From the diagnosis of his illness to him dying was only six weeks. My sister Jane didn't get to know her dad. We were in America for five years and returned in 1955 to live in Melbourne, in Bedfordshire. We lived with a maternal grandmother and, a, and two uncles. One uncle bought a caravan and slept in that. Mum later rented a house. I'd been rushed into Bedford Hospital suffering from appendicitis and a kind neighbour drove Mum to hospital for, to visit me. He had been a widower and was lonely and eventually they married. I have a brother and a sister as well as two half-sisters and two stepbrothers. We'd lived in the Dower House during the 50s. Our dad had been head gardener for John White and was manager of Hugh Lawson Johnson Estate. This estate included swimming pool and tennis courts. Despite being allowed to use these facilities, I still didn't learn to swim. I went to Risley at school and hated it, as I found it hard to fit in. 
One of the reasons why I found it difficult to settle in was me being used to dollars and also the American way of spelling. The children were lovely to me because of the way I spoke. Due to being born in America and then dad dying, we were shy kids. We were collected by bus, me often screaming. I left school at the age of 15 and trained at John White's in Skinner's Hill, Rushton. After my training, I chose to work for the same firm but at Park Place, Rushton. I was an under-edge trimmer when I left there. John White made quality shoes but had to be closed for some time now. Mum had to go to the embassy in London for permission for me to get married. My brother was called up at 18 for the Vietnam War. Mum went to a solicitor as he was the only male heart heir. This was, this was stopped. It was only after my children had grown up that I wanted to know more about my roots. As I didn't have any cousins living near me in the UK, there was no one around that looked like me. It was only when I visited the place where my grand paternal family still lived in America that people began to recognise me because of my late father. After I was redundant, I worked for Serve, caring the community. I found that I loved it. My other sister worked at Fairlawn Nursing, <coughs> nursing Home in Rushton. I'm a volunteer having retired at the age of 62 and I help my sister Kathleen two days a week. She runs Can Do Care with her friend Jill. I feel that it is a pleasure being there. We have all sorts of events planned from a policeman who advised on safety in the home and the community. We recently had a very interesting lady who spoke to us about her dad who worked at a mill in Rochdale. There is a Zumba man, Roberta, who comes every week and a 1940s style singer. Savita Paul, born 1948. My father, Vashambri, was born in India. He was a shopkeeper in Kenya with a general store selling sugar and salt, etc. My mother, Santa Ben, was 14 when she married. I don't know anything about my grandparents as my nan died when my mum was only a year old. She migrated to Africa when she married. She was a housekeeper. Father was a very kind and helpful man who would help anybody and everybody. My father died when I was four and a half. <coughs> we lived in a small village. We didn't have a doctor in our village, so we'd have to travel 18 miles for medical treatment, which we had to pay for. There were 18 shops in our village and a school. We had to pay fees for schooling. I went into higher education and sat Cambridge papers in English, history, geography and literature. I was living in a girls' boarding school at this time. I missed the exam and stayed in a hostel with other girls. After Cambridge exams, I stayed at home. I went to a commercial college where I studied secretarial and typing. I was lucky to get my first job where I had studied. I came to England in 1974 with my mum and my youngest and my older brother, his wife and two of their children. We landed at Heathrow. My older brother, two years my senior, was already established in Coventry. My younger brother joined the police in Birmingham in September 74. I began to look for work after I had established myself a little in this country. I began to work in the office of a bookbinding firm in Coventry. It was quite an adventure for me as I had to get used to using buses and taxis and acclimatised myself with the shopping centre, etc. In October 1974, I got engaged to Shanti. We met once at somebody's house. 
His family came to see me at my house. By mutual agreement we became engaged and so telegrams were sent. We had an engagement party at my house in October 1974 and then we married at the registry office in Coventry on 14th of June 1975. We had a proper religious ceremony. We initially lived with relatives in Winstanley Road, Wellingborough and stayed there for about six months. We then moved to Gannett Lane, Wellingborough. Our son was born in 1979 at Kettering General Hospital. I worked in the offices of the Open University at this time. My husband didn't have a job, but having had an interview at Open University, he was offered a job the next day. In February 76, I was made redundant, but fortunately found employment at Burboy Bank Toys, Wixon Road, Wellingborough. I worked in the factory for a short period of time. In 1977, I began working for F.W. Woods, Patterson Road, Wellingborough. They bought and sold scrap. I kept the books and dealt with buyers and sellers. It was my responsibility to keep tabs on what was coming in and what was going out. I really loved this job and remained with the firm until 10 years later when I was made redundant in 1989. Soon afterwards, I was successful in finding work for the Community Relations Council from and from there I began to train for welfare rights. Kate Baines came to train us for about nine months. Five people finished the training. Then a job came up for part-time work with Wellingborough Rights Advice Group. I was seconded, seconded from REC to do the work. We began with sessions at the Victoria Centre, Afro-Caribbean, the Mosque and the Hindu Centre Temple. It was quite difficult for me when I began this work as people wouldn't come to me because I was a woman and not white. However, fortunately, word spread that I was successful helping people to get the benefits that they were entitled to. Eventually, I made the decision to stay with welfare rights. I was supported by a strong management team and Northampton welfare rights. We moved to the family centre, Midland Road, Wellingborough, in 1995 and in 2010, to Park Road finishing uh, rag when we were at the Fish Hub in Cambridge Street, Wellingborough in 2012. We helped not only Wellingborough people but also the surrounding areas. There were surgeries at Albany House as well as Beechwood, Icebrook Hospital, Wellingborough. I was the only full-time worker supported by four or five volunteers who helped enormously meeting people, helping families with disabilities and some children. Visiting people in their own homes was an eye-opener for me as there were poor people in Africa when I, where I came from but I also saw white families struggle to survive until Rag made it possible for them to get what they were entitled to. Seeing elderly ill people often living on their own with minimum facilities made me sick at heart. Seeing them in their own, in their own county suffering in silence when it came to us not getting funding for the, from the government. I felt that they had not really bothered to see how the other half lived. Since 2008, we have faced mounting financial problems, but continue with minimum staff and resources. Eventually, in 2012, we were forced to close in spite of uh, us fighting to remain open and serve the community. We had no choice but to close. I miss seeing my old clients, especially white people, who wrote letters to the county council to support us and ask that we be kept open. I am afraid that people living in the surrounding village will be suffering. 
who weren't just giving welfare rights advice but were also signposting for so many other services including learning disability and mental health advice. One of our volunteers, Audrey Ellis, worked with people with learning disabilities. Advice was given in English, Gujarati and Hindi. I now work for Dossier, whose head office is in Northampton. Our doors are open to the Wellingborough community. Linda, 1946. I remember, I remember the house where I was born. A poem written by Thomas Hood, which I was required to learn at school. Only I don't remember the house where I was born because I was born in a nursing home in leafy Surrey in the year following the end of the Second World War, which makes me one of those much maligned baby boomers. A recent television programme discussed the findings of survey into the earliest memories of childhood and the consensus seems to be that, for most people, earliest memories stem from about the age of approximately three years old. I do have early memories and I think I would agree that perhaps... My earliest are from around that age. Having only one child and living with my grandparents, my own parents were way down the list when it came to getting what was then known as council housing. So, when I was about two and a half, we moved into an end terrace cottage where an elderly aunt lived, the understanding being that my mother would look after this lady and after her death my parents would be allowed to take on the tenancy of the cottage. I marvel now how this was accomplished. The cottage had no indoor sanitation, no running water, an outside toilet, wooden seat, no flush, a tin bath which hung on the wall of the coal shed, and a wedding in the neighbours, and a well in the neighbours' garden from which my dad drew the water before he cycled four miles to work. My earliest memories, I think, when I was about three years old, are sitting beside the bed. bed Brass with knobs on elderly white-haired lady, very wrinkled and with whiskers which grew out of her chin. She talked to me, I don't care about what, but I do remember she caused my mum considerable angst, which given the circumstances is not surprising. She had been very ill before we moved in and it was not supposed to be to last much longer, but after a few weeks she announced that she wanted to get out of bed was helped to dress and came backwards down the steep stairs, having first thrown her walking stick down to the bottom, took up her place in her wooden armchair by the black-leaded range and held court. I also remember the high mantelpiece with, of course, the obligatory china dolls, dogs one at each end. She lived another two and a half years, and when she died upstairs in her brass bed, the room was locked and the doctor who lived next door was summoned. On arriving, he knocked on the door and walked straight in. You did in those days, and because my mum was not in the room at that time, I said the key is behind the china doll on the mantelpiece. Linda continued, 1946. Um, the range plays a prominent role in my memories. I was bathed in front of it. My lifted bodice Vest, knickers and socks were all hung on to the fire guard to warm before getting dressed in the morning and I sat beside it in an armchair when I was on well tonsillitis and off school. I remember the doctor prescribing M and B tablets, presumably the forerunners of antibiotics, 
Eventually the range was taken out and a smart new brick fireplace installed. Never quite the same, but there was no heating anywhere else in the house. There was a fireplace in the sitting room, but that was only used on special occasions such as Christmas and invariably the chimney smoked. Main drainage came to the village. What a relief. It was still an outside toilet, but luxury in comparison. As many became available, a bath was installed in the very large kitchen with a large water heater and a wooden top to cover the bath when not in use. It was very important to remember to lock the bath door, back door when having a bath. We had a large garden which my dad kept immaculately, lots of vegetables and fruit, and I had a swing at the very bottom of the garden on which I played for hours on end, making up all sorts of stories in my head. I started at the village school opposite the church, age five. No play schools to introduce you gently in those days, just straight in the door. I remember crying, it seemed endlessly. My first teacher, Mrs Hartwright, was a lady with a large bosom on which several of us cried. She wore hand-knitted jumpers, mostly red, and had a son called Archie, about whom she talked very affectionately. Other memories of school include large coke boilers in the rooms, wooden and glass screens separating classrooms, which didn't keep out the noise of what was happening next door, crates of small milk bottles, which were put beside the boiler in the, win in the winter to thaw out, outside toilets, playing marbles in the playground, lining up at the end of each playtime to go into the classroom, Standing outside the playground for silence when King George died and also Queen Mary, there was a large bank of large bank of trees, beach I think, adjoining the school grounds and at break time it was a race to clamber up its roots to find a spot where two or three could sit together and share secrets. The trees have long since gone victims of health and safety regulations in past years. What stories they could have told. Another teacher, Mrs Bleach, invited me my best friend at that time and I to tea and she had a chocolate blancmange rabbit sitting on a dish surrounded by green coloured coconut, delicious. To get to her house we had to travel by train, such excitement. Tradition seemed to stand out in my memory of early school days. On May Day we were asked to take a decorated item to school and I remember my dad decorating my doll's pram on one occasion and on another creating a ball of flowers which he attached to a walking stick. I have a photograph of these still. On Ash Wednesday, woe betide if you didn't take an ash twig into school with you, as if not everyone was entitled to stamp on your toes. I have never heard of this from anyone else, so perhaps it was something particularly associated with that part of Surrey or to our village. Two not such happy memories were my English teacher writing on my school report when I was age 10. Linda lacks imagination a comment which has dogged me through the years and also failing the 11 plus exam which meant that my best friend and I were separated as she passed and went to grammar school and subsequently Oxford while I headed for secondary modern. On leaving the village school it was customary to ask the teachers to sign your autograph book. Mrs Hartwright wrote this If you, your lips would keep from slips five things observe with care of whom you speak, to whom you speak, how, when and where good wide, wise advice which has stayed with me throughout the years and so on to secondary mod two things particularly stay in my mind from this time first the actual school itself which had been created from the buildings used to house polish soldiers during war, world war ii i suppose at the time there had been insufficient money to build a new school so these buildings were utilized i remember how cold it was 
uh, as the camp had been built in the middle of Surrey, common land, Surrey's common land, and was open to the elements on all sides. It was a friendly school for all, all that, and the teaching staff did their best with their limited resources available. Eventually, a brand new school was built, which I attended for the last two years of my school life. It was while at the school age 13 I met a new girl who had joined us in the middle of the school year from another part of the country. Strange how people hit it off immediately. We did, and had been friends for 54 years. I was her bridesmaid and subsequently our children grew to know each other, despite us having lived in different parts of the country for over 45 years. Strange how evocative smells can be. With me it's tomatoes. My grandfather had a market garden. In the village, large glass houses full of tomatoes and cucumbers, fields of runner beans which were picked and put into bushel baskets to be transported to Covent Garden Market, and we were never without a tree at Christmas because he grew them. He had a wooden shed with an earth floor from which he sold his produce to people in the village. I can remember the smell of the tomatoes in boxes waiting to be sold, and the cucumbers long and straight. Tomatoes in shops don't smell like that now. They don't smell or love anything. When I was tall enough to serve at the wooden hatch, I was allowed to weigh out the tomatoes on the large scale with brass weights and put them into brown paper bags. He also kept pigs, so the piglets were a delight, but not so funny when the boar escaped from the sty and had to be rounded up and returned to safety. My first job on leaving school aged 16 was an office junior in a solicitor's office in the nearby town. The office was housed in a very old building on three floors, and my first job in the morning was to light the coal fire in the room belonging to the senior litigation clerk. He was an elderly gentleman, an alderman of the borough, no less, but I remember being rather afraid of him as he shouted a lot. I needn't have, he, I needn't have been as he, as he was in fact very kind to me. I recall going to London to the High Court in the Strand when we had clients to defend there, which was very exciting for a 17-year-old and some years later going to Brixton, Brixton Prison to take statements from another client on remand from burglary. I rather think he was convicted. Strange how things remain, remain, in, remain in your mind. I can recall being advised by one of the girls in the very early on when I joined the forum not to be alone in the room with a senior accounts clerk, as he is rather fond of young girls. I think I shall leave my reminiscences here. As we grow up, they don't seem to be so interesting. Just one more thing. I'm trying to remedy my lack of formal education by taking an open university degree. I've not found it easy. The material has been extremely interesting, but I am currently in the process of revising for an exam. And suddenly, what I am reading seems all new to me, as if I'd never seen it before. At least I don't remember it, which kind of takes me back to where I began. And so I continue with the stories from Lives Left ordinary. The story, this um, recollection comes from Diane, 1946. My mother was Joan Bryant and father Thomas Radmore, who was born in Plymouth, 1917. My father was in the Royal Marines, so travelled around a lot. Whilst mum only had one brother, father was the eldest of eight. Mum was a teacher at a small private school in Portsmouth, having qualified at the end of the war. When I married my first husband at Barham in 1965, he worked as an electrical engineer on helicopters at Gosport, but he later became a youth leader and trained at Leicester. 
He was involved with youth leadership for the rest of his working life. We have two children born in 1965 and 1968, a boy and a girl. I have been a member of St Mary's Parish Church and trained as a pastoral minister. I love this work as it brought me into touch with meeting all sorts of people. However, I am now a member of the parochial church council, helping the priests to run the church. I also run the women's fellowships. We meet on the last Tuesday of the month, time variable depending on the season. We help a local charity every year. We are currently helping Limpus, which worked alongside adults with learning difficulties. Last year we helped Greenpatch in Kettering. A major love of mine is being a member of Seagrave Singers, where Sue Reed leads us. We meet at Park Road Junior School Monday evenings from 6.45 until 9pm. In order to help to run this fabulous group, we pay a subscription of £10 a month. We will soon be singing at the Leicester Festival concert. We have about 45 members in our choir, with the oldest member being in her 80s. You don't have to be able to read music. Anyone can come along and give it a whirl. Every so often we open the group so people can come along and listen to us. It is hard work, but the standard is good. It will be interesting to hear the CD that has recently been made of us all singing. My grandfather sang and my sister and mother sang. We would gather around the piano and just sing. I always loved football. I used to go to Fratton Park, Portsmouth, with my dad, but I disliked having to go through the boys' entrance. Football was so exciting. I recall how my mum knitted me a blue and white scarf and hat and how I would wave this huge rattle. I still follow football on the television. Another of my hobbies is collecting pencils. This interest began when I was visiting somewhere. I love word search but didn't have a pencil with me so I bought a pencil as a souvenir. I see them as cheap to buy, easy to store and useful. I have collected pencils from North Yorkshire Railway, Lincoln Cathedral, Majorca, Prague and London Eye to name but a few. I contacted Radio Northampton about my collection. Helen Blaby, the lunchtime show, subsequently interviewed me. I would say that life is as it is, but not as it I would have liked it have, to have been. I had 14 wonderful years with my second husband. When we met, we just clicked. I have always loved this sea, but came back to Burton as I wanted to be to, near to my children. Maureen Ricker, 1946. My parents married at St Peter's Church, Earthingborough in 1944. Mum was 17 whilst Dad was 23. Mum had cycled with a friend to the corn exchange in Bedford. Mum lent Dad her bike, which allowed him to return to his base. A few days later, he returned to Mum's village, intending to return her bike. My Mum sailed on the Queen Elizabeth I in January 1946, and I was born in December in Connecticut. We went to Route 9, Greenville, Tennessee, and lived with my paternal grandfather at his t tobacco farm. Dad had been stationed at Thurley, Bedfordshire, where one of his jobs was to load the bombs and the planes, then unload ca casualties upon the planes to return. After my father left the army, he had a bungalow built. Dad was a male nurse in a hospital. I was four when my dad died of cancer of the stomach. From the diagnosis of his illness to him dying was only six weeks. 
My sister Jane didn't get to know her dad. We were in America for five years and returned in 1955 to live in Melbourne, in Bedfordshire. We lived with a maternal grandmother and, a, and two uncles. One uncle bought a caravan and slept in that. Mum later rented a house. I'd been rushed into Bedford Hospital suffering from appendicitis and a kind neighbour drove Mum to hospital for, to visit me. He had been a widower and was lonely and eventually they married. I have a brother and a sister as well as two half-sisters and two step-brothers. We'd lived in the Dower House during the 50s. Our dad had been head gardener for John White and was manager of Hugh Lawson Johnson Estate. This estate included swimming pool and tennis courts. Despite being allowed to use these facilities, I still didn't learn to swim. I went to Risley at school and hated it, as I found it hard to fit in. One of the reasons why I found it difficult to settle in was me being used to dollars and also the American way of spelling. The children were lovely to me because of the way I spoke. Due to being born in America and then Dad dying, we were shy kids. We were collected by bursts, me often screaming. I left school at the age of 15 and trained at John White's in Skinner's Hill, Rushton. After my training, I chose to work for the same firm but at Park Place, Rushton. I was an under-edge trimmer when I left there. John White made quality shoes but had to be closed for some time now. Mum had to go to the embassy in London for permission for me to get married. My brother was called up at 18 for the Vietnam War. Mum went to a solicitor as he was the only male heart Air. This was this was stopped. It was only after my children had grown up that I wanted to know more about my roots. As I didn't have any cousins living near me in the UK, there was no one around that looked like me. It was only when I visited the place where my grand paternal family still lived in America that people began to recognise me because of my late father. After I was redundant, I worked for Serve, caring the community. I found that I loved it. My other sister worked at Fairlawn Nursing <coughs> nursing Home in Rushton. I'm a volunteer having retired at the age of 62 and I help my sister Kathleen two days a week. She runs Can Do Care with her friend Jill. I feel that it is a pleasure being there. We have all sorts of events planned from a policeman who advised on safety in the home and the community. We recently had a very interesting lady who spoke to us about her dad who worked at a mill in Rochdale. There is a Zumba man, Roberto, who comes every week, and a 1940s style singer. Jenny, 1948. My parents actually met each other when they were based in the RAF at Catterick. Mum was helping with barrage balloons whilst Dad was a navigator. He was a bright man. Nan Belbin did everything to stop Mum marrying Dad. She sent Mum's trunk back to Scotland. Mum must have felt a very frightened lady. However, they married at the Congregational Church Wellingborough after the war, both marrying in RAF uniforms. They didn't have a honeymoon. My mother, Gracie Bright, maiden name Miller, was born at Norrinside, Scotland. She was one of eight children. My father, Jack Ronald Belbin, was born at 69 Hill Street, Wellingborough. I was born at my grandparents' house, 69 Hill Street, Wellingborough. Grandmother's name was 
grand <coughs> grandfather's name was Thomas Belbin, and grandmother's name was Bertha Ellen, maiden name Miles. We moved to 155 Mill Road when I was one year old. My sisters were born at Mill Road. I can remember them both being born. I was sitting on the doorstep of my nan's when I was told that I had a sister. I screamed out loud, Take her back! I don't want a sister! We had a, we had a lovely kind mum who used to take, take Christmas dinners to an elderly neighbour who lived alone. I know that she had a special interest in helping the deaf and dumb. Mum loved to make jams and pickles. She was always entering local competitions with her victorious sponges. My grandfather had a barn at the bottom of his garden. He could make shoes from start to finish. I was often asked by my mum to take shoes to be repaired. Also, for a small price, he would, he would mend neighbours' shoes. Both my grandparents worked in local shoe factories. My nan worked in a corset factory. Bamp Belpin, as I called him, had a little allotment which was down the bottom of Hill Street, near a row of cottages. Dad also had an allotment in Eastfield Road. All our vegetables were homegrown. We were so happy then. We would go down with our fishing nets to Big Hill where we caught sticklebacks. Mum would take us to see her family at Arbroath, where my granny and granddad Miller lived. We'd catch the train from Peterborough. It was lovely as mum's brothers and sisters would congregate. Those long summer holidays were really special. My granny was a wonderful cook. Dad would join us for the factory fortnight. My last trip was when I was 18, when I received my A-level results. I have visited Abroath a few times since then and would love to go again. I went into Victoria Infant School. I loved writing and sums. I remember how we had little beds in the classroom and that we slept in the afternoons. I remember learning the alphabet, another nice memory. However, what wasn't such a good memory was the milk. Horrible, especially when it curdled in the summer. Peter Thomas Innes, born 1947. I was born at Cotton, Northampton, to parents Alfred William, born 1921, and Eva Margaret, born at Lou, Lou Sussex in 1926. Grandfather William George was born at Stoke Brewer in 1895, but moved to Cotton. Grandmother Jenny Wormsley was born at Silverstone in 1901. My granddad worked at Phipps Brewery. He was awarded for 50 years of continuous service with an interaction when he enlisted in November 1914. He was in the Northamptonshire Yeomanry then, transferred to the Cheshire Regiment, then transferred back to the Yeomanry. He was at the first Battle of the Somme. Grandad was about six feet tall, a very placid man. I remember how I would go to his allotment at Ravensfort Road, Far Cotton, and pinch his strawberries. I never heard him raise his voice. My dad worked at, at Woodyard, which was over the river bridge. The Woodyard was situated next to the river at Far Cotton. Dad enlisted in the Royal Navy on the 31st of August 1942 and was land-based until he joined the submarine. Sometimes he was a helmsman, but other times in the torpedo room. 
He was in the Mediterranean, mostly Algeria, North Africa. Dad was lucky in that he was able to come home on leave. I believe he met the girl he was to marry, my mum of course, when he was in Northampton. As it was seen as good luck to touch a sailor's collar, she did just that. They married in 1942 at St Mary's Church, Far Cotton. They lived with paternal grandparents for three or four years before living with maternal grandparents. I attended Cedar Road Infant School, Abington, Northampton. I was a reluctant pupil, so my mum had to practically haul me to school. Mum worked in the worked for the shoe firm Crockett and Jones when she met my dad. She later worked for the Barkers of Earl Spartan. Dad worked for British for British Timkin, at North Dustin, Northampton. The firm were bearing bearing manufacturers. We moved with all our furniture in a lorry to Earl Spartan. My brother was born in 1952. I attended Barton Junior School. I loved playing football and was goalie for the school team. We used to use a full-size pitch nearby. I was the church in the church lads brigade in Barton. The person in charge was Mr Mills. The activities were held in the school hall. I went to John Lee School in 1958. I still knocked about with friends who lived in Ellsbarton. I was a rugby player for the school for about five games but stopped playing for them as I wouldn't wear the school uniform. I enjoyed metal work when I was at school. Mr Crampton was our t- teacher, nicknamed Billy Bean. I thought he was a kind man. I, I left school at the age of 14. My first job was with EB Engineering of Ellsbarton. I was with the firm for a few months. I later worked for British Timkin at Justin for about three years. I started at British Timkin a little while before I got married. I also worked at British Leyland from 16th of October 1972 until the firm shut in 1982. I was a maintenance night shift worker. I then worked for Long and Hamley at Billing and was there for three years. I began banger racing in 1972. I became interested in this hobby initially as my brother was also racing. I also raced at the dog track in Earls Barton. I won the tankard for the death on destruction race. I raced for about 20 years. My other interest was motorbikes. I bought my bungalow for all of my bank, for all my bank bangers. However, I had a back injury and this accident affected the rest of my life. I was forced to retire when I was aged 55. I used to play skittles for the three compasses at Upper Dean for about 10 years. My wife Wendy also played skittles. I've met her through a blind date. My mate set us up. We met outside Woolworths in Rushton. I married Wendy in 1970 at Wellingborough Register Office. We had the reception at the Hind Hotel, which her dad had kindly paid for. Our daughter Karen was born in 1970 and son born, Mark born in 1975. We lived in Findham for some years, but now live in Rushton. I needed to find something to keep me busy after having to take early retirement. I decided to trace my family history and managed to go back to 1620. Then, in 1998, I noticed an article in the Evening Telegraph, which was about a bloke who was carrying out research relating to the Stanit War Memorial. I offered to help. He was a retired school teacher. I went onto the internet to help him with his wider research. We became friends. When his work was eventually completed, he gave a copy of his book to the community. I know Audrey Ellis, 
through her husband Paul, who had chaired my interest in motorbikes since we were both teenagers. We also used to go to the exchange pub, which was in Market Square. I was later become totally involved in the book Those That Didn't, published in 2011. A small committee had been formed. Uh, Northamptonshire Com Community Foundation gave a grant of 4,800, which allowed for 236 books to be printed. I don't think that I expected my work would become a book. Sometimes it was brothers or sisters I spoke to. I talked to Audrey Desper. She had kept her dad's war diary. Audrey sent me a Christmas card. She told me how she'd gained a better understanding of some of the fine and casualties her father had often spoken about having read my book. I've been interviewed by Radio Northampton twice. I think it must have taken me over six years to carry out my research. It was time consuming, but I enjoyed doing something that I saw as being very important for the community of finders. So, sorry about the telephone ringing. father's family were all musical. My grandmother was also a beautiful singer. Grandad had a bass voice. He would sing Old Man River. Dad also played the piano a couple of times a week in a dance band with four or five other people. Mum was keen for me to have lessons. She was the one who encouraged me to practice on the piano in the front room every day after school. I had already been given formal piano lessons from Miss Billington. She would hit me across the knuckles with a cane if I didn't concentrate on what I was what I was doing. I was eight or nine when I began to play the piano at school. All the children marched into school as I played the toy soldiers on the piano and then marched out again to the same tune at the end. My musical le leaning was something that I inherited from my father. It was a lovely experience at this school. I still loved maths in the junior school. There was a very red-faced teacher called Miss Gates. She was short and stout. I was a real giggler when I was at school and one day I paid the cost for my giggling. I was in a geography class when I came across a picture of a black man. He was wearing a great big disc across his lower back. Body, when I refused to tell my teacher just why I was laughing, she told me to stand on a desk. She then slapped my legs. One day I was singing in the class. There were 52 children when Miss Smith, a tall bony lady with glasses, told me to stand up in, in front of the class. She told me that I had the voice of a nightingale. Those words were stuck with me all of my life. I think I was very lucky to have such a lovely childhood up to the age of 11. It seemed that all our summer holidays were lovely. My dad brought 11 plus books to help me pass my 11 plus. My parents were delighted when I passed the 11 plus. I was rewarded with a brand new bike. It was when I was out, it was when I went out into the yard that I discovered the lovely reward. Most ground, most weekends I would walk up to the hill with my little bag to stay at my grandparents' house. My auntie still had her war coupons. She would buy me my sweets from the market. We would play ball games in the street. There were very few cars then. My sister and I went to Mill Road Baptist Church. We always wore our Sunday best clothes. I disliked being just, just the same as my sister. Mum made all our clothes, coats and dresses. I would rebel later. We would be met part way to Sunday school by Miss Jateman, who helped at Sunday school. After Sunday school, she would take us back to her 
her mum and dad, I remember that they were really stern Victorian couple. I really believed in Jesus. I prayed out earnestly every night. I remember kneeling on the cold liner, no heat in them. We had ice on the indoors of our windows. I always went home for dinner, but there was no time for lingering. I remember how one cold and frosty day, when I was walking with my friend Margaret Lomas, I said, look at that spider's web. I was so fascinated with the beauty of what I saw with the web that I was late for my dinner. I got a slap on the leg. We moved to Western when, when I was 11 years old. The television was in the front room, as was my piano. I was too scared to play when Dad was home. I tended to play either when Dad wasn't at home or alternatively at school. I would cycle to high school with my friend Leslie Simmons. I think that all the teachers were very strict. We were disliked by other girls who went to different schools and called us snobs. I hated PE, I hated PE so I would do it, anything to avoid it. I would say that I was going to piano lessons. I would go to the room and hide there, but sometimes I would play the piano. Music would get me out of a lot of things that I hated, including mathematics. I somehow went from being a good math student in junior school to being pathetic. I also disliked subjects like history and geography. In the fifth year, we were allowed to study at home. I'm afraid we would go to Gino's coffee shop. I didn't think we were bad pupils. I remember how I once got into trouble for not wearing my hat. Every Saturday, I would have to go and play hockey. I was always in goal. I hated every second of this. I also played tennis. We would go to the Plum School, Wellingborough School, for swimming lessons. The boys used to peep. I did I did gain some life tapes, life saving certificates. The three subjects that I took at A level standard were English, art and music. I was now taking singing lessons. I gained grade seven piano and eight for singing. These standards would have got me into somewhere like the Royal Academy. However, Circumstances were forced on me which sadly prevented me from taking up the opportunity to go to the Royal Academy. I had to make another choice so I decided to train as a teacher. Dad was now a director of Wellingborough Boot and Shoe Company. When he was playing to an audience he was still the happy-go-lucky kind of man. They would line up pints upon his piano. After leaving high school I went to the West Midlands Training College. It was my mum who took on all sorts of jobs to help me to pay for my books. Nanny Bertha sent me, my, me, me money, as did Aunt, Aunt Greta, Greta. In the summer I worked at a local laundry, as well as various cooperative grocery shops. It was a really hard time, as my dad refused to bring my mum for open days at college. I always felt upset, but I met one girl a year younger than me. We befriended each other as we were both in similar positions. I was now in a group called Jenny Sound. I also played for a girl who was training to become a professional singer. I am still in touch with her. I was a soloist at the Congregational Church for four successive years. I wasn't speaking to my dad at that time. It was stubbornness on both our parts. For this reason, I dreaded being at home during the weekends, so I would choose to stay with friends. I then became an anorexic for about a year. I was living on apple and cheese. I fortunately saw sense and began to... and began to eat properly. Again I sang in a dance band where I wore a wig and a glittering dress. 
I wasn't getting home until the early hours, then up a few hours later to teach. I suppose I was a bit of a rebel. I was friendly with this long-haired and talented guitar player. He would come into college sometimes. My tutor told me not to take such unsavoury people into college. I spent all my time in the college bar, another way of escaping. My last year of teacher training practice took place at a school in the black country. It was a deprived area, but my work was very rewarding. There were 40 children in the class. I recall one particular child in the class. He was very large for his age. He took a shine to me. He started to steal things from his mum's house, including her Wellingtons and a bottle of scent. He bought these Wellingtons, which he had carefully wrapped to my classroom. He had overheard me saying to someone else that I needed to buy myself Wellingtons. I had to sit down and write a letter to his mum, explaining what had happened to her Wellingtons, and then give the letter to someone else to deliver it. I worked at Wellingborough Post Office most Christmases, and another child sent me Christmas cards every day over a three-week period. My first teaching job was at Streetley, Sutton Coalfield. I shared a house with four other teachers. I instantly loved teaching. It was whilst I was in the second year at Streetley that I was offered a job at Streetley Middle School. I was teaching children up to the age of 14. I didn't enjoy my work quite so much as I was now having to work in an open plan classroom setting. This meant that I was sharing with other classes. It was a really progressive school. It was whilst I was teaching at this school that I got an urgent phone call. I was told that my mum was very ill. I moved back to Wellingborough and moved in with mum. Miraculously, she recovered from this serious illness. It was whilst I was back at college that I received a phone call from mum that was to change my life. Dad was very ill. Would I go home? Dad was dying from lung cancer. He was 51. All the family were with him when he died. I managed to speak to him and to say I was sorry before he died. Wasn't able to cry at his passing though. I married and I had a precious daughter who was born at Kettering Hospital in 1979. My daughter loved her granny. Mum would ask her to play simple tunes on her piano and listen while she laid upstairs in her bed. Mum recovered from her illness and lived another seven years. She developed secondary cancer and died in 1985. Her death hit me very hard. I was near to despair as I had always been very close to my mum. The strength I gained from prayer gave me the courage to carry on. I often wondered whether praying to God just when I needed him was somehow wrong. I have since learned that this is not the case. You pray not for a selfish reason but because you need help at that time. We sold mum's house in Western Way for a really cheap price because we just wanted it all finished. This was another end of, of a chapter in my life. It was about this time that the headmaster at a local junior school came knocking on my door. He told me that he needed a pianist for their morning assemblies. I was to teach special needs children two days a week. This soon increased to three days. My daughter was at infant school by now. This would be about 1986. Prior to this, I had been working at a nearby hotel, which is now closed. I was also doing machine work at home. It was lovely as I went from earning very little money to having a decent wage. I was also playing the piano at a local chapel. Memories of Sunday school outings are still with me. They were very happy times. We went to Hunstanton and Skegness. This led to excursions with my friend and her family 
to London. I had applied and got a grant to run summer activities at a chapel which was very popular. There are three or four memories that stand out in my mind whilst working at a junior school. There was a pupil with dyspraxia. The pupil had learning difficulties which included a very short memory span. We had many amusing times with this student. In order to try and help and improve memory, I would send the pupil to our office secretary and ask for a few pens of different colours. However, the bemused secretary would later come knocking on my door, asking why I wanted boxes full of pens. I was fortunate to have a one-to-one experience with this lovely student. I was able to offer all my attention. This resulted their reading and writing skills improving dramatically during the four years that I taught this student with their reading, eventually reaching the same standard as other children in the class. Also, also memory and writing skills improved. This person is now an adult working at a support group and is driving a car. This shows how a child can thrive with the right level of support. At the other end of the scale, I taught one particularly difficult student who would take to running around the school or standing on a desk standing on a desk and then dance. Sometimes the same student would dash out into the playground and even into the road. It took a lot of energy to support this person through all of their anger. This student responded to a kinder and softer approach rather than someone shouting at them. On several occasions this student would run away from their home and come to my house and then ask to stay with me. Of course I had to ring the police for them to come to take this child home. On one occasion, I took this same student with a friend and her children. We went to South End for the day. Everyone thought that I was mad, especially as this person had never been to the seaside before. I was on ten talks throughout that day, but this scholar behaved very well. However, the train journey was the highlight of their day, particularly as they'd never been on a train before. Another child I taught had little awareness of people around, but although not autistic, was on the Asperger's syndrome scale. There are several forms of Asperger's from mild to complex. This pupil was unable to retain facts. Indeed, on one occasion, whilst doing a science experiment with another child, trying to find a pulse in order to measure their heart rate, after exercise, my child showed, yelled out to me that they didn't have a heart like everyone else. It took a while for this particular child to understand that, yes, they did have a heart and they were breathing. This student went on to become a talented artist. In 2002, the head teacher left. Through special circumstances, I was unable to teach special needs children. I was back in the classroom full time. The only good thing about it that I was given five of my six special needs children to make up my class. My career came to an abrupt end when a new head teacher was appointed. This changed things radically. I developed a chest infection. As it was so close to half-time, it was difficult for me to take time off. I was taken ill at school. I was driven home by a member of staff. Within 24 hours, I was in the intensive care unit at a nearby general hospital. I was in there for three months. I had been put into an induced coma. I had had empyrea. I also had ulcers on my legs. It turned to be to septicemia. At one point, I was critically ill. I was gradually taken out of the coma. I was hallucinating with all the drugs I had been given. Because of the tracheotomy, the pipe stopped. The pipe stopped me from taking it, me from talking. This was very frustrating for me. When I was, 
when I was well enough, I was moved to a normal ward. They didn't want to accept me because I could neither walk nor feed myself. I was becoming hospitalised. I wept as they wheeled me to the ward. I had the most awful time there. I received the great, great news that I was going to Beechwood Rehabilitation Centre in Wellingborough. I was cared for and looked after by some lovely people. I learned to walk again. I still needed a wheelchair for a few months. I retired early. My daughter is now married and has two beautiful children. I've had two bouts of cancer but have recovered. I have been on my own since two, 2000. I am now at a happy point in my life, having discovered a new church. I thoroughly enjoy my grandchildren. and I am thankful for my life and for being given a second chance. Savita Poor, born 1948. My father, Vashambri, was born in India. He was a shopkeeper in Kenya with a general store selling sugar and salt, etc. My mother, Santa Ben, was 14 when she married. I don't know anything about my grandparents as my nan died when my mum was only a year old. She migrated to Africa when she married. She was a housekeeper. Father was a very kind and helpful man who would help anybody and everybody. My father died when I was four and a half. <coughs> we lived in a small village. We didn't have a doctor in our village, so we'd have to travel 18 miles with medical treatment, which we had to pay for. There were 18 shops in our village and a school. We had to pay fees for schooling. I went into higher education and sat Cambridge papers in English, history, geography and literature. I was living in a girls' boarding school at this time. I missed the exam and stayed in a hostel with other girls. After Cambridge exams, I stayed at home. I went to a commercial college where I studied secretarial and typing. I was lucky to get my first job where I had studied. I came to England in 1974 with my mum and my youngest and my older brother, his wife and two of their children. We landed at Heathrow. My older brother, two years my senior, was already established in Coventry. My younger brother joined the police in Birmingham in September 74. I began to look for work after I had established myself a little in this country. I began to work in the office of a bookbinding firm in Coventry. It was quite an adventure for me as I had to get used to using buses and taxis and acclimatised myself with the shopping centre, etc. In October 1974, I got engaged to Shanti. We met once at somebody's house. His family came to see me at my house. By mutual agreement, we became engaged, and so telegrams were sent. We had an engagement party at my house in October 1974, and then we married at the registry office in Coventry on 14th of June 1975. We had a proper religious ceremony. We initially lived with relatives in Winstanley Road, Wellingborough, and stayed there for about six months. We then moved to Gannett Lane, Wellingborough. Our son was born in 1979 at Kettering General Hospital. I worked in the offices of the Open University at this time. My husband didn't have a job, but having had an interview at Open University, he was offered a job the next day. In February 76, I was made redundant, but fortunately found employment at Burboy Bank Toys, Wixon Road, Wellingborough. I worked in the factory for a short period of time. 
1977, I began working for F.W. Woods, Patterson Road, Wellingborough. They bought and sold scrap. I kept the books and dealt with buyers and sellers. It was my responsibility to keep tabs on what was coming in and what was going out. I really loved this job and remained with the firm until 10 years later when I was made redundant in 1989. Soon afterwards, I was successful in finding work for the Community Relations Council from, and from there I began to train for welfare rights. Kate Baines came to train us for about nine months. Five people finished the training. Then a job came up for part-time work with Wellingborough Rights Advice Group. I was seconded, seconded from REC to do the work. We began with sessions at Victoria Centre, Afro-Caribbean, the mosque and the Hindu centre temple. It was quite difficult for me when I began this work as people wouldn't come to me because I was a woman and not white. However, fortunately, word spread that I was successful helping people to get the benefits that they were entitled to. Eventually, I made the decision to stay with welfare rights. I was supported by a strong management team and Northampton Welfare Rights. We moved to the Family Centre, Midland Road, Wellingborough, in 1995 and in 2010 to Park Road finishing uh, RAG when we were at the Fish Hub in Cambridge Street, Wellingborough in 2012. We helped not only Wellingborough people but also the surrounding areas. There were surgeries at Albany House as well as Beechwood Icebrook Hospital, Wellingborough. I was the only full-time worker supported by four or five volunteers who helped enormously meeting people helping families with disabilities and some children. Visiting people in their own homes was an eye-opener for me as there were poor people in Africa when I, where I came from, but I also saw white families struggle to survive until Rag made it possible for them to get what they were entitled to. Seeing elderly ill people often living on their own with minimum facilities made me sick at heart. Seeing them in their own count in their own county suffering in silence when it came to us not getting funding for the from the government i felt that they had not really bothered to see how the other half lived since 2008 we have faced mounting financial financial problems but continue with minimum staff and resources eventually in 2012 we were forced to close in spite of uh, us fighting to remain open and serve the community we had no choice but to close. I miss seeing my old clients, especially white people, who wrote letters to the county council to support us and ask that we be kept open. I am afraid that people living in the surrounding village will be suffering. We weren't just giving welfare rights advice, but we were also signposting for so many other services, including learning disability and mental health advice. One of our volunteers, Audrey Ellis, worked with people with learning disabilities Advice was given in English, Gujarati and Hindi. I now work for Dossier, whose head office is in Northampton. Our doors are open to the Wellingborough community. Savita Poor, born 1948. My father, Vashambri, was born in India. He was a shopkeeper in Kenya with the general store selling sugar and salt, etc. My mother, Santa Ben, was 14 when she married. I don't know anything about my grandparents as my nan died when my mum was only a year old. 
She migrated to Africa when she married. She was a housekeeper. Father was a very kind and helpful man who would help anybody and everybody. My father died when I was four and a half. <coughs> we lived in a small village. We didn't have a doctor in our village, so we'd have to travel 18 miles for medical treatment, which we had to pay for. There were 18 shops in our village and a school. We had to pay fees for schooling. I went into higher education and sat Cambridge papers in English, history, geography and literature. I was living in a girls' boarding school at this time. I missed the exam and stayed in a hostel with other girls. After Cambridge exams, I stayed at home. I went to a commercial college where I studied secretarial and typing. I was lucky to get my first job where I had studied. I came to England in 1974 with my mum and my youngest and my elder brother, his wife and two of their children. We landed at Heathrow. My older brother, two years my senior, was already established in Coventry. My younger brother joined the police in Birmingham in September 74. I began to look for work after I had established myself a little in this country. I began to work in the office of a bookbinding firm in Coventry. It was quite an adventure for me as I had to get used to using buses and taxis and acclimatise myself with the shopping centre etc. In October 1974 I got engaged to Shanti. We met once at somebody's house. His family came to see me at my house. By mutual agreement, we became engaged, and so telegrams were sent. We had an engagement party at my house in October 1974, and then we married at the registry office in Coventry on 14th of June 1975. We had a proper religious ceremony. We initially lived with relatives in Winstanley Road, Wellingborough, and stayed there for about six months. We then moved to Gannett Lane, Wellingborough. Our son was born in 1979 at Kettering General Hospital. I worked in the offices of the Open University at this time. My husband didn't have a job, but having had an interview at Open University, he was offered a job the next day. In February 76, I was made redundant, but fortunately found employment at Burboy Bank Toys, Rickson Road, Wellingborough. I worked in the factory for a short period of time. In 1977, I began working for F.W. Woods, Patterson Road, Wellingborough. They bought and sold scrap. I kept the books and dealt with buyers and sellers. It was my responsibility to keep tabs on what was coming in and what was going out. I really loved this job and remained with the firm until 10 years later when I was made redundant in 1989. Soon afterwards, I was successful in finding work for the Community Relations Council from, and from there I began to train for welfare rights. Kate Baines came to train us for about nine months. Five people finished the training. Then a job came up for part-time work with Wellingborough Rights Advice Group. I was seconded, seconded from REC to do the work. We began with sessions at Victoria Centre, Afro-Caribbean, the Mosque and the Hindu Centre Temple. It was quite difficult for me when I began this work as people wouldn't come to me because I was a woman and not white. However, fortunately, word spread that I was successful helping people to get the benefits that they were entitled to. Eventually, I made the decision to stay with welfare rights. I was supported by a strong management team and Northampton Welfare Rights. We 
We moved to the family centre Midland Road, Wellingborough in 1995 and in 2010 to Park Road finishing uh, rag when we were at the Fish Hub in Cambridge Street, Wellingborough in 2012. We helped not only Wellingborough people but also the surrounding areas. There were surgeries at Albany House as well as Beechwood Icebrook Hospital, Wellingborough. I was the only full-time worker supported by four or five volunteers who helped enormously meeting people, helping families with disabilities and some children. Visiting people in their own homes was an eye-opener for me as there were poor people in Africa when I, where I came from but I also saw white families struggle to survive until well, Black Rag made it possible for them to get what they were entitled to. Seeing elderly ill people often living on their own with minimum facilities made me sick at heart. Seeing them in their own count in their own county suffering in silence when it came to us not getting funding for the from the government, I felt that they had not really bothered to see how the other half lived. Since two thousand eight we have faced mountain financial problems but continue with minimum staff and resources. Eventually in two thousand twelve we were forced to close in spite of uh, us fighting to remain open and serve the community. We had no choice but to close. I miss seeing my old clients, especially white people, who wrote letters to the county council to support us and ask that we be kept open. I am afraid that people living in the surrounding village will be suffering. We weren't just giving welfare rights advice, but we were also signposting for so many other services, including learning disability and mental health advice. One of our volunteers, Audrey Ellis, worked with people with learning disabilities. Advice was given in English, Gujarati and Hindi. I now work for Dossiet, whose head office is in Northampton. Our doors are open to the Wellingborough community. Savita Poor, born 1948. My father, Vashambri, was born in India. He was a shopkeeper in Kenya with a general store selling sugar and salt, etc. My mother, Santa Ben, was 14 when she married. I don't know anything about my grandparents as my nan died when my mum was only a year old. She migrated to Africa when she married. She was a housekeeper. Father was a very kind and helpful man who would help anybody and everybody. My father died when I was four and a half. <coughs> we lived in a small village. We didn't have a doctor in our village, so we'd have to travel 18 miles for medical treatment, which we had to pay for. There were 18 shops in our village and a school. We had to pay fees for schooling. I went into higher education and sat Cambridge papers in English, history, geography and literature. I was living in a girls' boarding school at this time. I missed the exam and stayed in a hostel with other girls. After Cambridge exams, I stayed at home. I went to a commercial college where I studied secretarial and typing. I was lucky to get my first job where I had studied. I came to England in 1974 with my mum and my youngest and my elder brother, his wife and two of their children. We landed at Heathrow. My older brother, two years my senior, was already established in Coventry. My younger brother joined the police in Birmingham in September 74. I began to look for work after I had established myself 
a little in this country. I began to work in the office of a bookbinding firm in Coventry. It was quite an adventure for me as I had to get used to using buses and taxis and acclimatise myself with the shopping centre, etc. In October 1974, I got engaged to Shanti. We met once at somebody's house. His family came to see me at my house. By mutual agreement, we became engaged, and so telegrams were sent. We had an engagement party at my house in October 1974, and then we married at the registry office in Coventry on 14th of June 1975. We had a proper religious ceremony. We were initially lived with relatives in Winstanley Road, Wellingborough, and stayed there for about six months. We then moved to Gannett Lane, Wellingborough. Our son was born in 1979 at Kettering General Hospital. I worked in the offices of the Open University at this time. My husband didn't have a job, but having had an interview at Open University, he was offered a job the next day. In February 76, I was made redundant, but fortunately found employment at Burboy Bank Toys, Wixon Road, Wellingborough. I worked in the factory for a short period of time. In 1977, I began working for F.W. Woods, Patterson Road, Wellingborough. They bought and sold scrap. I kept the books and dealt with buyers and sellers. It was my responsibility to keep tabs on what was coming in and what was going out. I really loved this job and remained with the firm until 10 years later when I was made redundant in 1989. Soon afterwards, I was successful in finding work for the Community Relations Council from and from there I began to train for welfare rights. Kate Baines came to train us for about nine months. Five people finished the training. Then a job came up for part-time work with Wellingborough Rights Advice Group. I was seconded, seconded from REC to do the work. We began with sessions at Field Victoria Centre, Afro-Caribbean, the mosque and the Hindu Centre Temple. It was quite difficult for me when I began this work as people wouldn't come to me because I was a woman and not white. However, fortunately, word spread that I was successful helping people to get the benefits that they were entitled to. Eventually, I made the decision to stay with welfare rights. I was supported by a strong management team and Northampton welfare rights. We moved to the family centre Midland Road, Wellingborough in 1995 and in 2010 to Park Road finishing uh, rag when we were at the Fish Hub in Cambridge Street, Wellingborough in 2012. We've helped not only Wellingborough people but also the surrounding areas. There were surgeries at Albany House as well as, well as Beechwood, Icebrook Hospital, Wellingborough. I was the only full-time worker supported by four or five volunteers who helped enormously meeting people, helping families with disabilities and some children. Visiting people in their own homes was an eye-opener for me, as there were poor people in Africa when I, where I came from, but I also saw white families struggle to survive until well, RAG made it possible for them to get what they were entitled to. Seeing elderly ill people often living on their own with minimum facilities made me sick at heart. Seeing them in their own, in their own county suffering in silence when it came to us not getting funding for the, from the government. I felt that they had not really bothered to see how the other half lived. Since 2008, we have faced mounting financial problems, but continue with minimum staff and resources. 
Eventually, in 2012, we were forced to close in spite of uh, us fighting to remain open and serve the community. We had no choice but to close. I miss seeing my old clients, especially white people, who wrote letters to the county council to support us and ask that we be kept open. I am afraid that people living in the surrounding village will be suffering. We weren't just giving welfare rights advice, but we are also signposting for so many other services, including learning disability and mental health advice. One of our volunteers, Audrey Ellis, worked with people with learning disabilities. Advice was given in English, Gujarati and Hindi. I now work for Dossier, whose head office is in Northampton. Our doors are open to the Wellingborough community.